All right, uh, lift off and the clock has started. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Houston, uh, Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. Discovery, go at throttle up. And lift off, the final lift off of Atlantis on the shoulders of the space shuttle. America will continue the dream. This is The Space Shot, episode 388, my conversation with Astroscale COO Chris Blackerby. I'm John Mulnix. This week is the 35th annual Space Symposium. It's held each year at the beautiful Broadmoor Hotel in Colorado Springs, Colorado. The conversation and speech that you'll hear today is from Chris Blackerby. He's the COO of a company that's looking to solve one of the most pressing issues in spaceflight, and that's the problem of orbital debris. Earlier today, Astroscale announced that they are adding an office in Denver, Colorado. In addition to their office in Denver, they have a presence in Singapore, Japan, and the United Kingdom. The other news from Astroscale today was the announcement of a $30 million extension in its Series D investment round, which brings the total capital raised for the company to $132 million. I'll be sharing some insights and news from the rest of the symposium in a later episode. For now, let's hear from Chris. First up will be my conversation with him, and then I am also including the audio from his speech at the Space Symposium. Enjoy. So I'm talking with Chris Blackerby. You're the COO of Astroscale. Chris, welcome on the podcast. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me. So for people that are, you know, not watch it, you can't watch because this is basically radio. We found a nice quiet little corner here in the uh, Broadmoor uh, to record in. So hopefully there's not too many background echoes or applause. Um, Chris, welcome to the show. You know, tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are today. So thanks, John. Uh, first of all, yeah, thanks for taking the time to chat. It's always good to talk to new audiences about things. For sure. Um, pretty non-traditional way to get into the aerospace industry. I used to be a history teacher. I taught high school cool. history for a few years after school, and then I, uh, I moved to Japan. Uh, and I lived in Japan for a couple of years, also teaching there. And after being in Japan, I, I came back to the U.S. and I went to graduate school for international relations and political science. And from there, I got a uh, what's called a presidential management fellowship. So it uh, puts you into a government organization for a couple of years, and you kind of get tracked up onto management level. Okay. And I got mine, and I went out, and I, I made it. I got I accepted, and I found one with NASA. Wow. And I started working with NASA. I always love space, of course. <laughs> Who doesn't? Exactly. And I started working with NASA on policy and on education and outreach and, and working with legislative affairs and things. And so I started doing that, and then I got into the international relations aspect of NASA, doing uh, international agreements. Uh, I worked with the administrator's office a few times on the NASA Advisory Council, uh, did a lot of stuff traveling internationally and being kind of like a State Department of NASA. Okay. NASA has three overseas representatives, one in Tokyo, one in Moscow, and one in Paris. And I got selected to be the, the attache in, in uh, Tokyo. And so back seven years ago, I moved to Tokyo. And I uh, was the NASA attache at the U.S. Embassy in Tokyo. So basically monitoring all cooperation that NASA does in Asia. And then after five years in that position, I was supposed to go back to the U.S., but I didn't really want to. And uh, I um, got a job offered by the CEO and founder of Astroscale okay. to come on as COO. 
Cool. Uh, and so I came on about two years ago and have been now doing this uh, space debris removal with this venture company for the last two years. Well, in your background at NASA, you really have a grasp on how big of an issue it is. Yeah, it is. It's, it's incredible. We always talked about it at NASA. It was always out there. Uh, while, while I was at NASA, two of the bigger issues in debris right now, the, the Chinese ASAT test and the Iridium Cosmos uh, collision, both happened. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, creates a real risk for all NASA satellites in space, okay. as well as, uh, of course, the space station. Yeah. So um, the issue is always really important, but it, you know, it didn't get a huge amount of attention or budget. That's that's there wasn't really a mission uh, that was that was out there to to work on it. And so while it did get a lot of attention and tracking got a lot of attention, uh, there wasn't really a focus on a specific mission to do something about it. While I was in NASA. Okay. So you know, working for Astroscale, then you get to focus on that. I mean, that is your guys's mission. Talk to me a little bit about what your company is doing. There's you know the Elsa D yes. uh, spacecraft. Talk to, you know, talk to the listeners about what's unique about that spacecraft, what's unique about Astroscale's mission. Um, take as long as you want on that one. Yeah, so <laughs> I could take a long time, so I'm not sure your, your listeners have enough time for that. Um, let's see. So the company was, was started about six years ago, uh, and the guy who started it is a Japanese guy, the CEO and founder, and he had uh, a love for space, wasn't in the space background, was more IT entrepreneur, and was out there going to space conferences and hearing a lot about space debris, but not hearing anybody propose a solution to fixing it, just that it exists and we need to look out and dodge that stuff. Yeah. So he came up with the idea, let's have a, let's have a solution. So he started thinking of ways to bring down the space debris. Now, it's been iterative. We've gone through a few different designs of our, of our spacecraft and starting with one person six, and, six years ago, we now have close to 70 people. Uh, starting with one office in Singapore, which is where he founded the company. We now have offices uh, soon to be in four locations, um, Singapore, Japan, the UK, and soon in the US. Okay. We'll be announcing our US office uh, this week here, the week of the Space Symposium. Wednesday, I think. Yeah. Yes, Wednesday <laughs> at the Space Symposium, we'll be announcing it. Um, so we've really grown the company uh, in terms of personnel as well as in terms of funding. So we've gone through several funding rounds and now have over $100 million raised um, in, in venture funding to come up with a solution. The solution itself is actually, we have to look at three different aspects of it. We've got to look at the technology. How are we going to actually do it? It's tough. How do we do that? We're going to look at the policy. Who's making regulations or developing standards that can influence companies and governments to actually do something about the debris sure. issue? And then where's the business case? Who's going to pay for it? Is the government's going to pay for it? Are commercial operators, are um, private companies, citizens, international organizations? Where are we going to find the way to do that? So our company is looking at all three of those areas. In our large global footprint, we have people looking at each aspect of that. The technology specifically, we're mostly building it in Japan. We have an office in the downtown part of Tokyo. Um, it's in a couple, we have two uh, older, almost apartment buildings that are right next to each other cool. with, uh, with garages, and the garage is, in each case, serve as our clean room. Okay. So we have clean rooms there. We're building the satellites in this office in Tokyo, and, and 
if you ever come to visit, it's nondescript. You would walk right past it if you didn't see the big astro scale on the <laughs> on the uh, door outside of the apartment. That's cool. um, and, and inside of that apartment, we are building satellites. Okay. Uh, and our first technology demonstration mission, as you said, John, Elsa D, uh, end of life services by astro scale demonstration. Okay. <laughs> uh, going to launch next year okay. in 2020, and it's going to demonstrate the capability to find and remove a piece of debris. Okay. Um, I can go into that technology. Yeah, now. that's yeah. you know, it's for, from your talk, and I'm going to include the talk audio as well. Okay, um, but it sounds like it's a magnetic plate, and talk about the benefits of using that type of system versus like some places I saw, like the harpoon. Um, talk yeah. a little bit about the pros and cons. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so, what we're proposing first is, um, well, let's. I'll tell you about our mission. Our mission: there's going to be a larger satellite, which is our servicing satellite. That's the one that we're going to be using you know, multiple times okay. as we continue this business. It will be connected to a piece of dummy debris. Uh, and so they'll be launched together. Uh, they're going to launch up together. When they reach uh, the orbit that we're looking to, to demonstrate in, they'll separate. And first they'll separate and stay pretty close to each other. And the piece of dummy debris which is going to be about 15 to 20 kilograms, and the larger servicer is about 170 to 180 or so. Okay. Uh, they're going to separate. The servicer will locate the, uh, the client, the dummy debris, uh, which will have a plate on it. And the plate itself on the dummy debris will not be magnetic. It'll have a ferrous material. So uh, then on the servicing satellite, it will have a magnet. Okay. And then it will go out, find it using optical markers that are on the plate uh, and uh, using the camera and the LIDAR uh, capability on the uh, servicing satellite, find it, attach to it using a magnet. We'll do that three different times. The second time we're going to institute a tumble in, okay. the, in, the, in the client, the dummy debris. So moving it around, you know, simulating a piece of out of control debris. Sure. The servicer will come up, identify how it's tumbling, synchronize its motions to that of the uh, of the client, okay. find that ferrous plate with the optical markers. Wow. Once it finds it, we'll then attach to it, stabilize it. And then the third time, we're going to lose, lose quotes, okay. finger quotes, <laughs> lose the, the piece of dummy debris. Okay. So then we have to use the on the ground and onboard sensors to find it and attach to it. Again, all of these are capabilities that would be used in a, um, in a, in a mission that a, that sure. a customer may want. Um, as far as, uh, other capabilities we've looked in the past at uh, adhesive technologies like the you know, gecko sure area. Uh, of course the the net so what you're referring to is removed debris which was a very successful mission recently uh, out of uh, Surrey satellite Surrey Space Center in Europe, uh, Europe in Europe mm -hmm. um, where they used a net to capture a piece of debris and then they used a harpoon yeah as well um, both of those are under consideration. Right now, we're at the beginning. We're nascent stages of this whole technology, so we can't really discount anything. Um, those two are a bit tough because when you shoot it out with a harpoon, for example, it uses a, a rope, you know, and so it's looser. And so the, the bounce back potential. So you hit the debris, and then it's possible that the debris would come back and hit your servicing satellite. Same with, which, is no good. which is no good. Same with the rope. You throw it out there, and as you're pulling it back, Unless it's on a, a pole or a, a solid thing, which is hard to do when you're shooting out a, yeah. a harpoon or a net, it's gonna it's gonna be unstable coming back. So 
that's one concern. Um, and while that removed debris mission tested those, it, it, it didn't really go the full uh, steps in trying to show that it could do it to an active satellite. Um, so there's probably fixes for those, as there are for any engineering issues. There's all there's going to engineering issues with everything. Um, but uh, there's people that can come up with solutions to them. But for the time being, we see the magnet as the first step in, in, uh, in the most reliable uh, okay. way to capture. Or, you know, longer term, too, you were talking about how that, that technology could be built into satellites that are launched by, you know, companies all around the world. Talk a little bit about, like, what the business case for that, too, because there's, you know, a lot of money flying around up there, and if an active satellite gets taken out by a piece of old junk, you would think it would be in everyone's interests to work together to try to mitigate that. So talk a little bit about like the business case of you know, why that's important. So I'd start by saying business case of any space activity is difficult to close. It's always going to be a little bit hard to close it because it's so sure. expensive, it's so difficult to operate in space that private companies a lot of times don't have an, an incentive to do it. Obviously, the commercial uh, communications providers, Geo, obviously there's a, there's a business there, but for a lot of them, um, there's not. But it's changing, and it's growing. And you reference the amount of money in space. If you look at how much investment has gone into space in the last 10 years, and the tens of billions of dollars going into space, it's becoming a, a trillion-dollar economy. Um, when there's money in any area, there's going to be concern for the safety and the sustainability of that area. Sure. So we think that the attention from business case perspective is shifting uh, to be to be more focused on making sure that space is sustainable. So we see a business case existing. Where we see it at one point is, you mentioned the, the plates. So what we'd like to see is any satellite that's launching, especially of a particular size and that's at, at a particular altitude, where it wouldn't degrade naturally within a certain amount of time, mm -hmm. put on one of these plates with this ferrous material. And it's going to be like a, uh, a hitch on the back of a car. Sure. So it's something that makes it easy to grab onto if it fails. So we can be the, uh, the auto service to go up there and bring this thing out of the way, remove that, that risk from orbit. And it just makes it easier if there's something on there to connect to. Um, so that's where we see a business case for future satellites and there's going to be a lot of satellites in the future yeah. if the numbers hold uh, you're going to be looking at 10 to 15,000 satellites launched in the next 10 years or so remember now from the time of Sputnik until now there's been about 8,000 satellites so you know, twice yeah, yeah twice as many has been launched in the yeah. last 60 something years yeah. are going to be launched in the next 10 to 15 and we already see the orbits crowd it's going to just be more crowded. Uh, and there's going to be, even though reliability is improving, of course, there's going to be certain failures. A certain percentage are going to fail. And if they're above a certain altitude, they're not going to come down for hundreds of years. Yeah. And even satellites that build in the capability to deorbit themselves, if they fail in orbit, then they don't have that capability to deorbit. Sure. So we see that there's more investors who are putting money into this, who are gaining interest in this and saying, yeah, we're willing to pay a little extra to make sure we remove this, and it doesn't it doesn't hinder our business our business case. Yeah. And then we see governments who are um, becoming more attuned to the fact that this is an issue, and they're looking to make policy changes, and they're looking to maybe do some R and D and even some missions to go remove some debris. So we see a conf uh, 
confluence of positive factors that are driving a business case. Uh, increased attention by the government, uh, increased investment going into space overall, increased usage by people, by us. We use satellites all the time. If it, if it gets harmed, then we're in trouble. Yeah. Uh, and then increased interest among businesses to make sure that orbits are sustainable. Um, for so long, the issue of why aren't people addressing this topic, uh, the question that comes up with that, the answer is often space is big and the likelihood of a collision is very low. So why do I really care? Uh, likelihood of a collision is still low, but it's going to happen. There's yeah. going to be collisions. And when one happens, uh, the cascading effect of that debris could be catastrophic. And it could be to the point where we aren't able to use, use the orbits anymore. Um, in the end, it's a serious environmental issue. And we see orbits as a natural resource. And they need to be protected. And the companies and the governments that are utilizing them want to see it protected. We see a business case. Yeah. Well, and for, for spacecraft, it doesn't take much because of the speeds that are involved. I mean, your, your presentation, you were talking about how, you know, the sub-centimeter particles, you know, they're moving around at 17, 18,000 miles an hour. And you know, there's that picture, which I'll be linking to in the show notes, but it's like a block of aluminum that got hit by a little tiny piece of plastic. Yes. And it's a crater. It's yeah. not just a little divot. Yes. Yeah. catastrophic levels of energy that are released. So I think what you guys are doing is really an important step in making sure that space is accessible to everyone. And those hundreds of millions of tiny pieces of debris, um, you know, they, they could create that. The hundreds of thousands of pieces of debris that are a centimeter or so, they could really destroy something. Uh, and cleaning up those little pieces is hard. But where we see starting to solve the problem yep. is the big pieces can become little pieces. So let's exactly. get those big pieces out of the way. Let's reduce the risk as much as possible. Yeah. It's it's something that you would think everybody would want to get behind, and I, that's why I like that you were talking about the partnership between NGOs, between governments. It's it's something that everybody, you know, all the stakeholders have to be involved with. What you know, what happens going forward to mitigate potential issues in the future. Um, one other thing I want to ask is uh, the Indian test. About I guess almost two weeks ago now yeah. at this point. Um, the company came out with a pretty strong tweet on Twitter just in response to that. Can you talk a little bit about what that means? And you mentioned it briefly in your presentation, but go over that a little bit more in depth if you don't mind. Well, so clearly our company, you know, we're we're focused on the business of, of orbital debris removal, but writ large, we just want to see sustainable orbits. And so however we can make that happen, that's a, that's a good thing. Uh, this this does not this goes the other way. Any any test of a um, of a weapon in space does that. Um, so when you have this anti-satellite test, uh, it was a destabilizing from a geopolitical perspective, but from a orbital debris perspective, um, it's not. It, it it doesn't. It's not good to add more debris to an already uh, debris-filled environment. So uh, now the Indian test was lower. Uh, it was about 300 kilometers, so most of that debris will be re-entering the atmosphere naturally uh, within weeks to months. So the likelihood that it would do any damage is very minimal. Um, it's different than tests that were done at higher altitudes that have left hundreds of pieces of debris in orbit that will be in orbit for a long time, centuries. So um, in that sense, it's, it's we're probably not going to be seeing the long-term ill effects from that, but we do want to make a point that 
anything that adds to the potential destabilized uh, orbits is, is not good. So. Well, Chris, that's I you know I think it's a sad but good note to end on. So thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, John, thanks so much for having me, and I, I hope that uh, your, your listeners uh, continue to have an interest in the issue. It's a it's a one that we are going to need to address not just now but for generations to come. So hopefully there's uh, there's a lot of interest growing, and we'll be able to find a solution. I think there is. <laughs> thank you. Thanks a lot, John. I really enjoyed my conversation with Chris, and I hope to have him on again in the future. The problem of space debris isn't going anywhere, and it's really something that needs to be tackled in the coming decades if we're to continue using space in the way we are now. For the rest of the episode, here's the audio from Chris's talk during one of the tech tracks at the symposium. Enjoy. Thanks, John. You did a good job pronouncing my name, so I'll try and copy it right So it's not Blackberry, it is Blackberry. Um, thank you. I'll try to keep you guys awake. You, you should stay awake because it's a serious problem that I think the reason that many of you are here is because you're interested in understanding what the solutions are. Um, when you go to these conferences like here or IAC, usually there's a, there's a host of presentations about uh, the details about space debris and what the issue is and, and why it's a problem, but rarely do you see much in the way of an actual solution. And, even more rarely, I think, do you see much in the way of a business case. Most of the time, what's being discussed is the institutional or academic discussions about how we might solve the problem. What our company, Astroscale, is looking to do is, is apply a business case to this. It's tough, and I'll talk about that today. But the reason that uh, you know, Kessler syndrome was posited in the late 70s, and here we are in 2019, and there still isn't a solution, uh, coming up on 40 years later uh, is because it's too hard to do. It's hard to do technically, it's hard to do from a business case, it's hard to do from a policy perspective. And at Astroscale, that's why we're trying to focus on all of those issues. And so I'll talk about that today as we uh, discuss the company overall. Is there supposed to be question time to come here, or is it just 15 minutes talk and then five discussion? Um, so, first, again, not a surprise to anybody in this room, but satellites are essential to our daily lives. To, find your way here today, you've used an Uber, or you uh, did something that employed a satellite technology. You called your family back home, or you made a bank transfer, you were employing satellite technology for the most part. Um, it's just gonna get more and more uh, essential to our lives as we see things like IoT and self-driving cars. Uh, we know that our use of satellites uh, is only gonna increase, it's not gonna decrease and they are uh, an essential part of what we're doing. Again, no surprise, uh, the amount of debris that is in orbit already is significant. Um, you see the off-use chart here that shows the growth in debris since Sputnik was launched. Uh, right now, depending on who, which, which uh, models you're looking at, 20 to 30,000 pieces of debris that's being tracked at 10 centimeters or greater. Uh, hundreds of thousands at the, at the centimeter, and then hundreds of millions under a centimeter. Um, so there's a lot of big stuff up there. There are collisions. You see the two big jumps in there. Again, most of you know that that first big jump in 2007 was the shiny face access, uh, an intentional creation of debris. Uh, and then the second jump there is the Iridium Cosmos collision, an unintentional creation of debris. So um, as we've seen, these things uh, can happen. They destabilize geopolitics. They uh, destabilize and um, 
made for an uh, unsustainable orbit uh, for utilization of space. So in, in all these instances, we see that uh, the risks are out there and accidents can happen. So what we're saying is we should be pulling some of these out of the way. And a lot of studies are showing that we even pulled a couple of these big objects out of the way uh, over a year, a couple of times a year, pulling down some of these big upper stage rocket engines or, or on satellites, you're going to significantly reduce the risk of future accidents. So this is all the debris that's already up there. We also know that the amount is only going to grow. Um, this is a sample of some planned constellations. I put a dotted line there about the approximate altitude where natural orbital decay is greater than 25 years. It actually should go a little bit higher, probably. It's closer to 600 to 650 kilometers. Is the orbit where uh, the natural decay of a, of a satellite or a piece of debris will come back into the Earth's atmosphere within 25 years. Now, that's important because the IABC, the Interagency Debris Coordination Committee, has the general standard, the guideline that any satellite from the time of the end of its operation uh, should be should be either deorbited or risen to a graveyard orbit within 25 years. So on this on this uh, chart, if I even raise that a bit to put it about where Amazon and SpaceX are planning to launch theirs, there's a significant number of satellites being planned with these large constellations, primarily commercial communications constellations, that are going to be above that line. If any of those satellites go defunct, they're not coming down for tens to hundreds to potentially thousands of years, depending on where they are uh, from altitude. So, and, and some of those will go from. We know from history, we know from everything in technology that sometimes things fail. And even if it's a few percent, you're looking at additional tens to hundreds of pieces of debris in orbital orbit. Um, so, the issue is already significant, the issue is just going to grow. Uh, and just a visualization of how our orbit looked in terms of human-made debris in 1957 around September and how it looks now. Uh, and obviously this is a bit of a misleading because it's not as crowded probably as it looks, but all of those are actual uh, debris locations with the geo belt and then Leo belt below. So the number of rocket launches are only going to increase, the number of satellites are going to increase, the risk of debris is only going to be uh, increase. So we know it's a problem. We know it's a concern, but is there a business case for space debris removal? And that's the question that we're asked all the time. And it comes down to what is the technology? What is the regulation? And who pays for it? And when I talk to my team all the time, I say if we solve one of these three issues, it doesn't mean we're going to be a successful company. We need to solve all three of these things uh, simultaneously. And that's what we're doing as a company right now. As for Astroscale, our background, uh, founded about six years ago uh, on Star Wars Day, I think uh, unintentionally by our founder, but the day before was our founding day. Um, he's a Japanese, the CEO and founder is a, is a Japanese national. He was living in Singapore at the time of the founding, and so the headquarters was Singapore. Uh, it actually just, we just reverted back to Japan as the headquarters a few months ago. So right now we still maintain the back office operations in Singapore. Uh, in Japan, we now have about 40, 45 people, uh, primarily doing R&D and actually satellite design, development, construction in Japan. In the UK, uh, we have about 15 right now. Uh, the UK is where we're building our ground control center. Uh, we've been working with the UK uh, Catapult, and 
and they've uh, helped fund some of the production of the ground control center that's going to be focused on inorganic operations, uh, inorganic servicing operations. So we're using the UK office for that, as well as to do some business development and regulatory aspects. And then in the US, we will actually be making an announcement this week at our booth, uh, this Wednesday afternoon, booth 1201, about our opening of our US operations. Uh, we recognize that to be a, a sustainable global company, we have to address uh, the US market, both government missions, potential commercial missions, as well as things like supply chain, uh, uh, technologies and personnel, so we're going to start a U.S. a U.S. entity as of this week. Um, as I mentioned, we're not just a technology company. We are addressing the various questions uh, that are needed to be answered to solve the overbooking problem. From a business perspective, you know why do companies want to remove debris? Uh, we think it's for a business continuity uh, issue. Uh, if I have uh, 200 satellites in the same altitude, uh, different inclinations, they're going to be passing each other. If one of those fails, that is a risk to my business uh, professionally. So the companies are talking about hundreds of thousands of satellites and looking at potential debris that's going to impact my business. So we're talking to these operators and talking about how this is a necessity to try to start removing these pieces of debris. From a technology perspective, what are the technologies necessary? And I'll talk about that in just a, a second when I discuss our first tech demo mission. What are the technologies necessary? How do we build a supply chain that uh, can lead to uh, repeatable and economical missions that are safe and successful? Uh, we're doing the whole calculus of uh, buying, in, uh, buying in versus making in house to make buy decisions. But we're going through these questions of how to create the technology that can actually do this. Uh, and then from a policy perspective, why, there right now is no regulation, it's uh, Often called orbital commons, so no, there's no uh, orbital policeman that's up there to tell you what you're doing wrong and find you for it. But there's attention being paid to it right now, both from the domestic policy level. Uh, a lot of the main players, the U.S., Japan, uh, the European countries, there's more of a focus on how do they regulate from a domestic policy level, how they regulate this issue, and also from a global international organization perspective. I just came this morning. I actually didn't get my badge. I was almost taken down the uh, front door out there because I didn't go to get my badge yet. Because I was at a meeting of Confers. Do you guys know Confers? It's a DARPA-funded, uh, Secure World Foundation-managed uh, group of um, private companies that are talking about uh, on-orbit servicing regulations uh, and standards. And we're talking about proposing a set of standards to ISO so that there can be uh, some agreed to way to perform these missions. So there's international groups, it's an international industry-led group that's talking about how to develop these standards. But there's other groups like World Economic Forum and the UN and IABC, both from a domestic political level and from an international level, people are uh, starting to address this issue and recognize that there's a concern. So we as a company are involved in all three of these. We've got footprints around the world, we're focused on the policy side, we're talking to all of the operators, both uh, commercial and government, and we're working on developing the technology. On that third point, our first mission, tech demo mission, is called End of Life Services by Astroscale D, Elsa D. Uh, we have tried to talk to Disney about a sponsorship frozen stuff for those of you who have the kids, but that was a no-no. So, um, Elsa D, scheduled to launch next year. 
Um, it's going to be the first end-to-end uh, -end, uh, service for deorbiting satellites. There have been other uh, demonstrations done, most recently to remove debris, uh, which was, has, was great in laying out the, the policy uh, and some of the technical uh, steps that need to be taken to do this. We think we're going to take it one step further and try to really demonstrate a capability that uh, a customer would want. So all the aspects of this mission, we're going to focus on areas where it can be very customer-focused. Uh, they can look at this and say, ah, oh, this is something that can apply to, to, my, to my business. So what we're going to do is we're, we're launching two satellites together. Um, again, if you come by our booth 1201, you'll see we have a, a model, a half-size model of what you see at the bottom left, which is a servicing satellite, the larger one, connected to a, uh, the, the client or the target. Uh, and so the servicing satellite will have on it, you see the, the bottom right picture, the extended arm there, where that A is, there will be a magnet. And so that magnet then will be attached to the small client satellite. The small client satellite will have that plate, the top right side, you see that plate. That plate's going to be a small plate with ferromagnetic material on it. So it's not magnetic in and of itself, but it'll have ferrous material. And so it will separate, and then you can't really see it, but in the middle left one, you can see in the distance, there's the client satellite with the servicer approaching. Um, there will be optical markers on the plate, on the servicer's plate, so the, 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 the uh, I'm sorry, the client's plate, so the servicing satellite, the, the chasing satellite, will be able to find, identify, uh, locate, and then attach with magnetic uh, docking mechanisms. What we're going to do is we're going to do this. This is a bit hard to read. I apologize. I think these slides will be available, so you can take a look later. Uh, we'll also have a video of this concept of operations again at our booth, so if you can buy and see. But um, our booths, you can see that. But we're going to do three different uh, demonstrations. The first time we're going to separate and not move. Second time we're going to separate, and then the client will couple, and we're going to match the couple of the client with our servicer. And so synchronize the motion, find that plate, and then attach to it and stabilize it. The third time we're going to lose the client. Go a little bit farther away using both ground-based and onboard sensors, find it and attach to it. So all three of those are capabilities that we think a customer would want to employ. Uh, in terms of the technologies that we're developing, I won't go through all these, but again, happy to talk uh, after this or, or later in the week. Um, Primarily, guidance, navigation, and control, the, the ProxOps capability is going to be essential uh, to capture technologies, and then the reorbit, deorbit, also capabilities to bring it back down again. Um, what I hopefully anticipating some of your questions, this, this capability, this technology capability, only can be with something that has a ferrous plate on there. The stuff that's up there now does not have ferrous plates on there. How are you going to capture those? So that, we have to think of a different capture mechanism, probably robotic arms. Uh, we're looking into various possibilities for that uh, to capture the stuff that's already up there. But the other aspects of the technology we think can be very small. Uh, ground control center, we're going to have multiple uh, ground stations around the world. As I noted, our, uh, our ground operations center, that picture on the top right, is our office, or the ground operations center in the UK. Uh, I'm going to have to speed up just a little bit. Um, look through the business opportunities. I, I touched on this a bit, but we're breaking it down into the way we're calling it ADR, active debris removal on the top, end of life services on the bottom. So the ADR is current debris, debris that's already up there. And our focus is gonna be on the customer for, for that of those kind of missions being governance. Uh, and there's governance that are gaining interest in
in addressing this from a policy perspective, and also taking action on it, actually funding some mission to do something about this. So we're looking at governments to remove, again, a few pieces of debris a year, significantly reducing the population and the risk. Uh, governments is one possible funding source. Um, innovative prizes, prize concepts is a good way to think about it, uh, international organizations. There's various creative ways that we're thinking about structuring uh, the funding for that ADR. For EOL, we're looking at the future debris. So we'd basically be saying every satellite that launches, particularly those that are gonna launch above that dotted line with orbit that is above the 25 year rule, put on that plane, prepare yourself. Just like your car has a, has a hitch on the back of your car so that AAA in the US can come and pull the car out of the way, put a docking plate on your satellite, work AAA in space, we'll come up there and pull your satellite out of the way, remove that risk from, your, from that orbit. Um, and so we're talking to the commercial operators to prepare their satellites before they launch. And, and I'm saying above that outright, and they're, they're the policy side, which is this last slide, best practices for end of life. There's a lot of discussions now about lowering that, that number. So not to be 25 years, 25 years is still a long time to keep a defunct satellite in space. So there's a lot of talk about bringing that number down. If that number gets brought down, that dotted line drops a bit, and then you're gonna see more and more of those other uh, companies get in that area where a failure means hundreds of years of debris. We're working again with all of these different operations, private sector, government, non-governmental organizations, to develop these best practices. So we're working on all three of these issues, technology, the business, and the policy to try to create a sustainable business for sustainable orbits. Um, so, 20 seconds, no, I'm over 20 seconds, sorry. Anyway, thank you guys very much. Thank you very much. That was a really interesting topic and actually very relevant to the current state of space exploration. I do have a call number if you'd like to ask a question or leave a comment now on the podcast. Just call 720-772-7988 and leave a message. As always, links to everything we talked about today are in the show notes. If you're new to the podcast, I would appreciate it if you would subscribe and leave a review iTunes reviews help more people find out about the show, and they help make sure the podcast reaches as many listeners as possible. Until next time, I'm John Mulnix, and I'll catch you on the flip side.